At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. Labor Day weekend. It's so good to see you, and I love family services. I love having our children and our kids in here. It kind of feels more like a family room to me. So I'm excited for this. Hopefully you're not antsy or have anxious thoughts about what your kids might do. It's quite all right. But if you're with us even online, we welcome you as well. Maybe you're traveling, getting a last little uh, little vacation in before things really get going. But however you're joining us this morning, we're really glad you're with us. So on this Labor Day weekend, our nation is a little bit of an interesting spot, interesting situation. We're living in what's been called the Great Resignation. The labor force here in America has undergone arguably the largest change it's ever had to endure. Millions upon millions of people have left their jobs, have quit altogether in the past few years. In fact, in 2021 and 2022... A hundred million people have quit their jobs. If you know anything about the population of the U.S., there's roughly 334 million. That's a lot of people. And I think we've all experienced this in some way, right? We've maybe a stop at a restaurant only to find the indoor dining hours have drastically changed. And you have to go away disappointed. Perhaps less so now, but walking around your local store, a box store, grocery store, only to find those things that are on your list are not on that aisle shelf for you. Or maybe you've had to wait for what seemed like an eternity for that precious item that you ordered. Or even if you drive around town, you see more help wanted signs and you've got fingers and toes to count. As of August, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce reports that the labor force participation rate has decreased to 62.6% of what it was in February of 2020. I think this situation brings up a question in all of our minds. How long can this last? How long can this be sustainable for our country? All of those things got me to wonder, does the same concern apply to God's mission? You might be sitting there saying, no way, not God's mission, not at all. Let me rephrase the question. Is there a labor shortage in the church? See, our gut instinct may want to say yes, perhaps in part because of maybe the passing of many influential Christian leaders over the last five, even ten years. Names like Tim Keller. Billy Graham, Marilyn Laszlo, and others. Perhaps in part because what seems like a a mass exodus from the church is real, and it's happening. 
Perhaps in part because so many people are deconstructing their faith and walking away altogether. Any one of those things, or all of them together, might cause us to have a negative outlook on the future of the church, or even the advancement of the gospel. But I think the only way we have a negative outlook on the future, the only way we have a negative outlook on the advancement of the gospel is if we lower our eyes off of God. If we get entangled in other earthly pursuits, things that leave Jesus off to the side in importance. See, when the main thing stops being the main thing, any church, every church, is going to struggle. And if you've been with us over the past month, we've been reading in a series, or we've been in a series, excuse me, that we've called Elijah, a man like us. We've been navigating through a couple chapters in the book of 1 Kings that pertain to Elijah's life and his calling. And we've repeatedly said there's nothing spectacular about this guy. Nothing extraordinary about his abilities, about his talents, anything that he kind of brings to the table. Nothing miraculous there. And yet, the extraordinary seems to follow him wherever he goes. Right? Every week we've been seeing miraculous things are just everywhere he is. There's no debating the astonishing details of what we've been reading together. And with each passing detail, there he is in the middle of it. Everything going on, Elijah's there. He's been perhaps a focal point for many of us. And preparing for this message, I was actually surprised at how easy I got caught up in the details of what's happening and then made the conclusion that Elijah is the main thing. But all this time, God is the star. God is the main thing, not Elijah. And after all of these weeks, I want you to see today with clarity that God faithfully calls people into his mission. The focus here is on God and in the fact that it's his mission to reconcile the world back to himself. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll be starting in verse 19. Literally the shortest text we've had all series, but perhaps not the shortest message. Okay, uh, waited a few seconds. I mean, Rob's coming back Tuesday, so I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of running out of things to say. So 1 Kings 19, 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 19, God's word says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, son of Shephat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and bowled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us here today. God, I pray that by the powerful working of your spirit, that we would be encouraged and equipped by the reading and understanding of your word. That we would be formed and shaped, Father, by your word so that we might become more like your son, Jesus. 
that we would become fully mature disciples, men and women and children and families who shine like stars, God, for the gospel in this broken world. God, give us the capacity to receive your word to us this morning. God, give us the desire to hang on everything that you say. God, give us strength and faith to count on your promises, to depend on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when last we left Elijah, he was on the run in the wilderness, on the run quite literally for his life. After the showdown of the ages, Ahab still hadn't repented. Jezebel still breathing threats. Idolatry still pretty widespread. Elijah was depressed, rightly so. This was not the results he was hoping for. Perhaps we all can relate to our life when things don't go the way that we think they should. We find ourselves in a hard spot. And see, even Elijah lowered his eyes off of God. His, his own thoughts about God's mission were far too small, far too focused on himself. And even right here, I remember words of a friend of mine once told me, reading the Bible will mess you up as a Christian. I think a question just pops up off the page. Do you evaluate God's mission based on the details of just your small part of it? See, this is the only time in Elijah's life that we know of that he hit a low, right, where things aren't going well and he kind of faces fear. He gets frustrated. He's depressed and even pities himself. Never again do we see this kind of response from Elijah. And I think the difference is simply as the text tells us, God came near to him. God came near to him and spoke with him. God reorients Elijah's heart to the call in his life. He kind of calls him out of this emotional moment where he's overwhelmed by things not going the way he thinks they should. He gives him instructions to anoint a man named Elisha to be prophet in his place. Perhaps a hard thing to hear depending on your perspective. Maybe Elijah's re-energized after God talks and he's ready to go and then God says, anoint this guy to take over for you. We're told nothing about his thoughts, nothing about how he feels, about how God instructs him and what God says to him to do. Essentially, God tells him, go find your replacement. Go find your replacement. This mission isn't about Elijah. There is no, this is my ministry. This is my kingdom that I'm building. All ministry belongs to the Lord. All of it. All ministry belongs to the Lord and is part of his mission to reconcile the world back to himself. See, we, like Elijah, are involved, but we are not central. We, are, we play a part, but we are not the stars. We are included, but we are not the focus. And it's right here after all these weeks, we see the true reason why we are just like Elijah. And he is just like us. We all play a part just like him. And not all of those parts in God's mission are glorious. Not all of them are amazing. Not all of them require us to be out in front, to be in a leadership position. 
I can't help but think of John the Baptist. As soon as Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist says, I've got a decrease. I've got a decrease. And later on, Jesus says, there's no one born of a woman greater than him. Imagine Jesus saying that about you when you decide to decrease so that he may increase. See, after their encounter, after God comes to Elijah, he's now realigned for action. And I want, to re- want you to remember something we said in week one, that a life of faith is taking God at his word. It's amazing that as God comes to Elijah now, he's trusting God's direction, and he obeys it. He's going and doing exactly what God asked him to do. This is exactly what faith motivates the heart to do. And it was a long journey for Elijah, hundreds of miles from Mount Horeb in the south to Syria in the north. But what happens first? He finds Elisha. And it's right here that we see our first point, that God's direction can be trusted. God's direction can be trusted. See, I think many of us as Christians, we look to our futures with a narrow lens. Sometimes we only look at the resources we have or where they could take us, or conversely, the resources maybe we don't have and where that lack might leave us. Sometimes we look only to our skill and our ability and what they can accomplish for us. And sometimes we look only at what we don't know and how that will affect us along the way. See, vision like that is self-focused. It's too limited. And it's precisely the reason why we have doubt. It's precisely the reason why you and I doubt God's will for our life, his direction, the things he calls us to do. See, Elijah faced his own future in light of God's promises, not his limitations. I wonder if you notice that fear and depression and self-pity, the moment that Elijah experienced those things was when his focus was on him. He took his eyes off of what God was doing and what God had already done, and he hit a low moment. See, God sent the birds. God put meat and bread in their claws. He kept the brook flowing. God positioned the widow. He kept the jar of flour and the jug of oil full. God kept Elijah and the widow alive. God even brought the sun back to life. God was doing everything, every moment, every step, everywhere he told Elijah to go. And you and I have a path behind us that testifies to the kept promises of God. Every single one of us. And I just wonder today, how often do you take a moment and reflect on that? Are we so caught up in our doing that we forgot that we need to be being with God in relationship with Him? That's our first calling, to be reconciled with Him. God isn't interested in your success for him or for the kingdom. He wants your faithfulness. He wants a relationship with you. God's direction for your life, it can be trusted. And I know that because God never calls you to do something that you don't need him for. 
If he did, what would be the point? What would be the point of doing anything without him? I think it's interesting that God's instructions to uh, Elijah actually play out in the reverse. If you look back at verses 15 and 16, God told him to anoint a king over Syria, and then anoint a king over Israel, and then anoint Elisha. And he comes across Elisha first. I think it's really easy to glance over that. It's really get easy to just kind of like check the box and look at the next thing he says, but he's giving Elijah a friend. He's giving him a companion, a friend that would eventually carry on after him. It's more than once we've seen Elijah say, look, God, I'm the only one here. I'm the only one left. It's, it's only me, even I. I only am the one who's faithful to you, God. During all of this idolatry, I'm the only one. If anyone needed a friend, it was Elijah. It was Elijah. And we say this repeatedly here. You hear this from stage probably every week. But you were made for community. You were called to community. We are made in God's image, and God's image is a communal image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally existing in a love relationship before creation, before you and I could ever say that we were alive, any human being. That is God's context, an eternal loving relationship. And as believers, the Holy Spirit lives in us and gives each one of us gifts for God's mission. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Don't miss this last verse. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Do you catch that last part? For the common good. See, you have been given something for this body right here. This should be a pretty heavy moment for you. Not, not an oppressive thing, not a guilt thing, but a pretty a realization. that You've been called to community and you've been equipped to be part of his mission. As a believer, you not only have a place here, but you have a part here. I like to call them divine appointments. You've been given friendships in this room for your journey of faith. To embrace what Galatians 6.2 says, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's no mistake that you're here. You may be looking for a church. You have maybe been here a long time. You have relationships around you that God has divinely appointed for your life. That should be a, a wow moment. You need to pour into them. And there's other people here for you. That's how important this is. And as we see from our text, there is something that's required of all of us. And that is God's call demands commitment. God's call demands commitment. So Elijah throws his cloak on Elisha as he passes him by. Remember, earlier last week in chapter 19, we saw that God passed by Elijah on Mount Horeb. God also did this with 
Moses in Exodus 33. This is a significant act. There's a really intense gravity about this meeting with Elijah and Elisha. It's kind of a commissioning for Elisha. He's paying attention too. He understands the significance of what's happening. But there's something in verse 19 that we didn't cover. And that's the fact that Elisha is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And there's overwhelming agreement among theologians that Elisha was a pretty wealthy man. Oxen were pretty expensive. And we're told that he's plowing with 12 yoke of them. So that's 24, if I've got my math right. This is an indication of significant wealth, significant land ownership. And as Elijah passes him by, he leaves all of this immediately, and he runs after Elijah. He only asks if he can say goodbye to his parents. So he clearly understands what this moment means. He knows he's going to have to separate himself from what he was doing prior to this encounter with Elijah. But what Elijah says to him is kind of odd. It kind of, and it's troubled interpreters for a long time. He says, go back again for what have I done to you? Well, one possibility put forward is that Elijah is telling Elisha that it's not up to me. It's God you have to deal with, so go and ask him. Well, another possibility is that Elijah is saying, go ahead and go to your parents, for I have done nothing to stop you. Seems to me the latter seems to be best there, but whichever the case, the point is that it's clear that Elisha gets it. He knows what's happening. He understands that Elijah's response is permission to go say goodbye, and there's nothing negative coming from Elijah. Nothing negative that would prohibit Elisha from doing that. And in this moment, we might think that there's a little bit of conflict with something said to even Jesus in the New Testament. Multiple times, people would come to Jesus and say, I'll follow you, but let, let me go do this first. One of those examples is in Luke chapter 9. It says this, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Sounds similar. And then Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, the difference here, though, is that Jesus can discern people's hearts. He's all-knowing. He's God. He has divine power. And Jesus perceived in that man's heart at that time that saying goodbye would actually be an obstacle to commitment. He could see into his heart that it wasn't truly committed to Jesus to himself, and his attachment to his family would actually take the priority for him. But our text reveals nothing like that. And actually, we see something pretty extraordinary from Elisha. In confirming his own commitment, he actually uses it as an opportunity to bless others. He takes all of his wealth, and he ensures that other people could be blessed, and he couldn't go back to it. He gives up all his symbols of wealth and they become the means to bless others and celebrate with them God's call in his life. He slaughters his oxen, takes their yokes and has a pretty large barbecue. Something fitting for the weekend. And there's nothing in our text that suggests he spared any of the oxen so this was a barbecue for the ages. Something I'd like to be a part of to be honest with you. Never had oxen but sounds pretty good. But he gives up everything. 
He gives up everything to answer God's call on his life. He sacrifices his own livelihood to follow Elijah. And he does it all in a very public way. He actually invites people into it. For him, there's no going back. There's no plan B. And if you're a history buff, this might be for the kids as they're starting school. Maybe you know the story of Hernan Cortez. He was a Spanish conquistador who led an expedition that resulted in the fall of the Aztec Empire. And in 1513, yes, 1513, he discovered what we know as modern-day Mexico, but that was the new world to him. He did it with 600 men. And the first thing he did was burn every one of his ships. Every one. The message to his men was very clear. There's no going back. There's no plan B. See, not all of us are called to leave our profession. Not all of us are called to leave our homes and go to a, a, a brand new place, something foreign to us. Sometimes God may even force the issue in your life and eliminate options for you. But every single one of us is called to leave something. Every single one of us. It may be a job. It may be a home. Perhaps it's leaving other attachments like money or a relationship. Maybe it's leaving a security that you've placed somewhere other than the person, Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, you're called to leave what's comfortable and follow God into the unknown. Unknown to you, but not to him. And just like Elisha, sacrifice will be involved. I don't know what God's call is on your life. It could be a small sacrifice. It could be a significant one. Maybe a question is the best way to answer whether or not you're committed to God's call. Because if you want to know your appetite for commitment, answer this question honestly. Are you a customer in this body? Are you committed to this body? A lot of people nowadays go to church for religious goods and services, completely transactional. But you have relationship opportunity here. Significant relationship opportunity here. Where you can participate in the glorious mission of God. A mission that has no equal. A mission that is reconciling the world with a transformative power that this world has never seen. It will never be duplicated again. And you've been invited through the cross of Jesus Christ. Everyone has been called by God. Look back at verse 21, the last part of it. It says, he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. No front stage role for Elisha. Here at the start of his calling, there is no glamorous role that he's been called to. It's a supportive role. Elijah's calling is not complete yet. And so Elisha's calling is to go and assist him in whatever God directs Elijah to do. See, in addition to trust and commitment, God's assignment involves development. God's assignment involves development. See, our modern sensibilities might want to push back and say, Elisha is noteworthy. He's wealthy. He's got influence. He's successful. Surely this means he should be out in front. Surely this means he should leverage that for the kingdom. 
Elisha would spend several more years in an assistant role. And we don't hear much about him for a while, but he is there in the background, learning, developing, assisting Elijah in everything he does at God's direction. And see, right here, there's a critical point of application for us. Waiting is a vital part of our discipleship. And it also just rubs against the flesh, doesn't it? Waiting is critical for the growth of your faith and my faith. The Bible is chock full of examples of waiting. Joshua served Moses for 40 years before he took over the mantle from Moses. 40 years of waiting. David spent 16 years in the wilderness after being identified as Israel's next king. 16 years. Paul encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, and he spent three years in Arabia learning directly from Jesus. And best of all, Jesus himself came into this world not as a grown man, but as a vulnerable baby. God who needs no development, needs no learning, needs no education, subjected himself to a process that every human being can relate to. Growing and learning and developing as we age. Even, even in Hebrews 5, 8, it says Jesus learned obedience through suffering. It's an incredible message for us in that. And on waiting, author and Bible teacher Jen Wilkins says this, being able to wait is distinctly Christian. In fact, it is a mark of Christian maturity. The Bible speaks of waiting on the Lord, of being steadfast, and of bearing the spiritual fruit of patience. There is a God-exalting humility in waiting. The life of Christ literally grows inside of us when we wait with a cheerful heart on what God directs us to do. And I think being entrenched in a world that applauds a fast ascension to success being out in front, being first, being the prominent one, being the one in the lights, waiting on God's direction and timing serves as a powerful witness to his mission. Powerful witness to his mission. And so again, a question for you. Is the impatience of instant gratification shaping your approach to God's direction for your life? Is the allure of getting something fast Shaping you spiritually. See, here at the end of our series, the life of Elijah, he's a great prophet of God, but he points us to the greatest prophet Jesus, God's own son. Because Jesus, he trusted the Father's plan and he took the Father at his word. He completely committed himself to God's redemptive plan to reconcile the world back to himself being the very instrument of that plan. And he proclaimed directly that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except by him. And even today, God is still faithfully calling people into his mission. And so have you responded to that call? Is it time to evaluate your trust in God's direction? 
is a time to realize that something may stand in the way of commitment to Jesus? Or is today a day where you accept the slow pace of development at Jesus' feet? Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.